In this episode of Studying Sacred Scripture, we are told not to be deceived by certain amusements of this worldly life, but rather we should focus on controlling our lower desires and looking after our beautiful planet, because those are our main duties that we have to take care of while in this worldly life. This was a beautiful saying of our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, from the chapter on piety, from the famous collection of a hadith, Riyadh al-Salihin by Imam al-Nawawi. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yasir li amri wa ahlul uqdata min lisani yafqahu qawli. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallayta wa barakta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ali Sayyidina Ibrahim fil alameen innaka hamidun majida wa ba'd Please if you can come a little bit closer because I'm trying to use a new combination mic is there but this mic is not for you it's for the rooms behind you so I've put those speakers off because for some reason they interfere with this mic for the podcast. So if brothers come closer to me, you'll be able to hear straight away from my voice. And hopefully the ladies at the back can hear from the speakers which are in the mother and child room and on the balcony. And if this combination works, we might fix it like this. If it doesn't, I don't know what else I can do really for the IT uh, team. So, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Tonight, inshallah ta'ala, I would like to share a couple of sayings of our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from the book on piety, Babu Taqwa, from Riyadh Salihin. Really, you can say, the best collection of the hadith, of the sayings of our beloved Prophet wasalam, really, really well organized, friendly to use, and the bare minimum you could also argue for each and every Muslim, male and female, to read and to go through to find out more about our beloved Prophet The first hadith that I would like to read tonight is a little bit sensitive as a topic. And I know there are some ladies at the back and, and they insisted they wanted to hear the session tonight better. And it does talk about women. So it is very important for me and you to get the right understanding of these traditions. We cannot be really attacked by anyone uh, in any way or form for what our sacred tradition has to teach us, has to say. Only if we were able to understand it properly. That is the trick. We need to read these traditions in a very positive light and then we won't take things very personally Likewise, we won't misconstrue, we won't misunderstand what our beloved Prophet ﷺ was trying to, to say or to teach his companions, Sahaba and Sahabiyat. I also told you in the past few sessions, it is actually important to hear the Qur'an read, recited to us in, in its original form, like we prayed Isha prayer, Allah made it like that. Our Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, taught us that is one of those prayers because it's prayed at night. At night, the voice is heard nicely and, and, and clearly. 
we read loud. So we enjoy the prayer, isn't it? We enjoy Zuhr prayer as well and Asr prayer. But there is a different level when you hear the sacred yeah, speech being recited. Yeah, Allah's ancient speech in this case. Likewise, hearing those sayings in Arabic language is a big difference. Especially, of course, if some of you know Arabic, you come from an Arabic background, or you have some understanding of Arabic. And Urdu-speaking people, of course, can relate to certain terms. Persians definitely can. And even Ottomans or Turks, they can relate. But you'll be surprised if I tell you, a European Muslim like myself, I can also relate to many terms that I hear in the Quran and in the Hadith before I even learned Arabic language. Because every Muslim community, we adopt and take by Muslim culture. And part of Muslim culture is its language. Okay? The language of the Quran. So listen carefully, please. Even if you do not understand, just try to think of the Prophet ﷺ as you hear me read this saying in Arabic first. We'll tell you the translation as well and we will try to also explain it and maybe deduce a couple of benefits or lessons from it. So this is second hadith of this chapter and 70th of the book, 7-0. An Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu ta'ala anhu anin nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal Inna dunya hulwatun khadira وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ مُسْتَخْلِفُكُمْ فِيهَا فَيَنْظُرُ كَيْفَ تَعْمَلُونَ فَاتَّقُوا الدُّنْيَا وَاتَّقُوا النِّسَاءَ فَإِنَّ أَوَّلَ فِتْنَةِ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ كَانَتْ فِي النِّسَاءَ كَانَتْ فِي النِّسَاءَ رواه مسلم So this hadith is quite short as you can hear and the meaning is Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu ta'ala an one of the closest companions of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, I heard the Prophet ﷺ say, the Prophet ﷺ said, the life of this world, dunya, this worldly life, is sweet and green. And Allah makes you generations succeeding one another so that he may try you in respect of your actions. He wants to see how do you behave what it is that you do. So beware of the amusement of this world, or I should say the seat of this world, and that of women. So the first four, the first trial of Bani Israel, the children of Israel, was through women. Imam Muslim uh, recorded this particular hadith in his book, and that, of course, tells us that it is a, a, a sound tradition. It is hadith sahih. We don't really want to doubt, and we should not doubt its authenticity. Now, some people will maybe have some issues and problems with the content of this tradition. Why? Because they, they try to understand it in their own light, in their own way, without putting everything in a proper context, okay? As to uh, how, how did this tradition come about, and what, it, what does it actually mean? And who is the intended audience with this hadith actually? So first, I need to look at the language of this hadith. As I always do, uh, I have this commentary, which is nowadays on my phone. Uh, I used to carry a book. So a uh, very nice commentary, I have to say. One of the best, actually, commentaries is on this uh, hadith and the, one I the next one I would like to read. 
regarding the language of first hadith, there are several terms I really would like to focus on more and more, but I won't do too much, basically, uh, inter you know, uh, interpretation based on language. But a couple of points I would like to make. Hulubatun khadira. For example, these you know, terms that the Prophet ﷺ used, the translation, I didn't like, to be honest with you, tonight's translation. Generally speaking, this book offers a really good translation, but I didn't necessarily like this translation tonight myself. Uh, so I'll try to mend it as I explain these terms which are mentioned in the hadith itself. So we here have like a strong confirmation by the Prophet ﷺ. He's describing what? He's describing this dunya, our worldly life. But you can also say he's talking about the earth, yeah, the planet itself. So he's saying, inna dunya hulwatun khadira. So there's some emphasis. Indeed, the life of this world, they translated. I would say it's more to do with where we live, the actual place, the planet itself, yeah, the, the earth itself, and then what we experience while we live on this planet. Our worldly life, part of it is sweet. Everything is supposed to be extremely sweet and enjoyable or joyful, I should say, for the believer. Because believer, a true believer in Allah is the only person, you can say individual, who walks on the face of this beautiful earth, who in all situations in a way is a winner. Okay, when there is fortune and misfortune, a believer is supposed to be still feeling the joy or the happiness that comes from within. Because if there is a, a trouble coming his way and a calamity that he found himself or herself in, Iman hasn't left their heart. And that is where the true you know, happiness comes from. So it is in that sense, the life that we have, every minute of it is a gift from Allah, honestly. Uh, and just the phenomenon of breathing, for example, the fact that, you know, that, that is the one thing by which we know somebody is alive, doesn't hurt us. In fact, it's easy, okay? I have a little bit of asthma, for example. Sometimes you can hear when I lead, especially if it's Fajr prayer and I haven't cleared the pipes properly, you know, you can hear the difficulty in breathing, but it still doesn't hurt me, you know what I mean? It, something is not perfectly fine like you, but, we still manage, and there are many asthmatic people. The point I'm making is that if we only understood how many favors Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us by creating us and then making us to survive in such an easy way is actually unbelievable. In that sense, it is sweet. We should take it as if it's something very sweet, uh, sweet from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are grateful uh, to him for it. But I would say what he wanted to say here is like, uh, in this worldly life, there are certain things which are especially sweet. If you only knew what those things are, and then you tasted that sweetness, you would never want to leave that particular sweetness. But that is actually the sweetness of faith. Or let's say the spiritual highs that you can attain while living in this worldly life. So I remember uh, a few saints from Egypt, for example, or the Middle East. They will say, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
atones their sins. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, increases their spirituality level. Like they feel light in terms of the burden of sin, the burden of this, the burden of that. And they tend to only remember Allah, focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They say even just one moment of that ecstasy is sweeter than anything else you can actually imagine that potentially tastes yeah, uh, sweet or delicious in this world of life. That's what they're saying. And I remember one Egyptian scholar who said, if, if he had the choice, if he became the owner of everything that exists on this worldly life, if he could own everything, like every house, every street, every car, every bit of gold, everything, everything. But for him, being late for one of his prayers in a masjid, he said, this means much more to me and it's sweeter to me to experience the opening tikbir behind the imam or to pray in a congregation with my brothers and sisters is sweeter and more precious to me than everything that I own. And all of my children, he said. He said like this, I'm just, I don't want to tell you the name, don't need to know. I said, oh my God, he's a bit like, <laughs> don't you like your children? Are they not the coolness of your eyes? Yes, they are. But he basically found the coolness of his eyes in those prayers. And that became the, next, you know, the sweetest thing for him every single day that he would experience. If only we could attain to that level. Each and every one of us can have the same. And you don't actually have to even pray in the masjid necessarily. It could be in an open space. Whatever you happen to be, the time for the next prayer enters. You say Allahu Akbar, but that is the most joyful time for you at that particular phase of that day. And then you go to your house, you pray again. Or, of course, if Allah enabled you to pray in the masjid more regularly, that is the, be the best. You know, nobody can argue about it. So this is what I personally believe uh, the Prophet ﷺ indicated and wanted to mention with this term, Hulwatun Khadira. So the phone is turned. So A, this worldly life in its sweetness resembles sweet, delicious things that we taste. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made grow on the face of this earth and also made it at the same time the means of our survival, means of our nutrition. So different kinds of fruits and vegetables or things that we consume, that we eat or taste. And likewise, lots of greenery. Like in general terms, when you describe nature, the first color which comes nature, green. And in fact, everything now that we talk about green mosque, this mosque, eco-friendly, green, green, even green faith. So that is why I would say the Prophet ﷺ, if you think about it in this kind of way, you know, long-term vision, everyone now is talking about green, green things. And indeed, this world is supposed to be more of green than bad, you know, dull colors. It's, the be it's better, okay? So uh, this is what it basically means. Uh, A, in its color, it's mainly green. This planet, okay, in its color is mainly green. Let's talk about the earth, the soil. Of course, the oceans uh, are a major part of this planet. That is a different color, okay? But that doesn't concern us because we live on the earth, okay? We live on the soil, al-bar, yeah, that part of it. So I think that's what he meant in a way. He really wanted to say that, not this. Oh yeah, this worldly life is so amazing. It's enjoyable. 
you know, full of green things, uh, sweet things, let us make the most of it and enjoy ourselves. You will actually see at the end of this hadith how I understood it and how I would like everyone to understand it. It's quite the opposite. The Prophet ﷺ didn't want his companions, and here he was talking to male companions, men. Therefore he mentioned the temptation of women. And if he spoke to the female companions, he would have mentioned, be, you know, be careful with the opposite gender. And that's really what he meant. So everything except indulging our lower desires, really. You know, taking pleasure in, in fulfilling our desires in that manner, in, of course, in an unlawful way, it's strictly prohibited. But you will see in the commentary that I have here, they will say even moderation in halal pleasure. Yes, you can have a lovely car, it's not haram, nice and comfy seats, but you can't, that can't be your main distraction. You're just crazy, going from one ride, speeding here, going there, sitting in this sofa, then changing next week, another sofa. And this, that's not really the point of this worldly life. So, basically, he was just trying to explain to them that there are lovely sweet things in this worldly life. If you only could manage to understand what that is and then experience it and feel it, you will really know what the real sweetness uh, is on, on the face of this earth that Allah has placed. And it's really the sweetness that you feel in your spiritual heart, not necessarily on the faculty of tasting some kind of sweetness on your tongue. Uh, so it's a symbolic interpretation really that is required. And with green, the majority of places where we, where we live and reside is green. And another point really is that, uh, as you know, in Arabia, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ was born and raised and where he really lived and traveled, and the Sahaba, they did not see that much of uh, greenery. So for them, that was a very important aspect. Uh, something that they, you know, really admired and appreciated. And that's why the Quran mentions the beautiful gardens in Jannah, yeah? beneath which rivers flow, because that's like the most amazing scenery for anyone who, who grew up in desert, okay, in a region which lacks any trees, there's no grass, no things like that. So in that sense, he wanted to encourage them that, no, you never should, you know, fall in despair there's plenty of lovely, beautiful things on the face of this earth and the whole of it belongs to you. And Allah actually places people wherever Allah decides and appoints their particular individual provisions wherever he decides. Something like that. So to broaden their horizons basically and say the earth will open up to you and you will also see lovely green uh, soil and things uh, as well. And that's exactly what happened. And the next line is in line with what I just said. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here, Allah makes you generations succeed in one another so that he may try you in respect of your actions. Uh, in Surah Yunus, I believe, or Hud, uh, definitely one of them, Surah Hud probably. In Surah Hud, there is a verse in the Quran which is very similar to this. Yeah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed, uh, you know, has made us, you know, generations succeeding one another. That's how it is, you know, and, and it, you can't deny that, you know, one generation, jeel, then the next generation, then the next generation. And it's all, that's the norm. So usually it's the grandparents who will go first away 
And then the parents become grandparents like this, but they replace them. Then the children, then the grandchildren, and it just goes on. It's Allah, part of Allah's law. Uh, it is like that. But what I would say uh, the real meaning of this term is the, the, the notion of vicegerency because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, he knows exactly who will be born when, in what generation and what age and time we will you know, live and, and thrive and live and work. What he wants to say is, you will come generation after generation, but I have entrusted this particular earth, this globe, this abode of your life, yeah, the place where you're going to reside, live, to you, so take care of it. Why? How do I know this? Because this institution of Khilafah is very much linked with our actions. Because Allah says, مُسْتَخْلِفَكُمْ لِيَنْظُرَ كَيْفَ تَعْمَلُونَ In the Quran it says, لِنَنْظُرَ Because Allah is saying there in we, yeah, royal W. So we see how you behave. In other words, I've entrusted this beautiful planet to you and made the living conditions for you enjoyable, like I said. Breeding is easy. Food grows. Literally, there are many items that we can survive on. They grow by themselves. You don't need to even grow it. You, can't, you don't have to put the seed in the soil. A bird will do it for you. Or wind will simply throw it away and suddenly you find an oak tree grew. Lovely fruits there or whatever. Apple tree. I've seen it. I don't know if you have been through forests and this and that. I've been everywhere and I've seen all kinds of things. Lettuce, onions, strawberries, blueberries, all kinds of things that grew by themselves. Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it like that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to test us and see, are we here to make use of that in moderation? Because everything is supposed to be in moderation. Bil mizan, bil qist. Justly, fairly. Or are we here to destroy this earth just because we are too smart and intelligent? We can observe the earth. We can actually uh, subject all the animal kingdom to serve us, da, 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 etc. The winds, the waters, we will just use it in whatever way we like. The trees, they are also living objects, plants, and etc. Everything in the biodiversity that we see. No, we are not. <laughs> whatever you have, okay, including your body and everything else that you put in it, that you observe and see around you, and that you might claim you own, is being actually entrusted to you. And Allah is testing you through those things, actually, if you only understood that. That's why owning too much is always risky, in the sense you really are going to be questioned for that. How did you earn it in the first place, acquire it? What did you use it for? And then what happened next? You'll be asked. So that's why, in, in a sense, like the Hadith says, uh, people who had basic life, poor people, their you know, uh, hisab, reckoning, will be much quicker, easier on Judgment Day, and they will go first to Jannah because it's much more simple, quicker. Unlike somebody who claims, I'm the king, and this and that, the owner of this region, and this and that, and claims ownership to many things, including individuals, which is going to be very tough. I don't know how the people who own people will answer to them. How did they treat them? Those people will come before their masters and say, what did you do to me? What did you do? And all kinds of things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simplified, has entrusted whatever we have 
from this worldly life uh, and its goods, matter, material things, to us to see how we do. Yeah, uh, to basically make use of it for good, noble causes, purposes, and then to discharge the rest to where it's due, something like that. And the institution of zakat, for example, helps us in this. So does the institution of giving in charity in general terms. And then the general notion of responsibility, liability. We are all liable yeah, for the things that are in our care or under our care. So we dispose of those things appropriately in moderation, as I said, in, in a nice uh, way. And there are all rules basically about it uh, in Islamic law. Uh, so that is the second notion. The, the third notion that I would like to mention here is this term, فَاتَّقُوا الدُّنْيَا فَاتَّقُوا nisa. So, okay, it's turned down. So, فَاتَّقُوا الدُّنْيَا Basically, uh, what it means is إِحْذَرُوا إِغْتِرَارَ الدُّنْيَا So, be wary like, I, I like that part of the translation because it, it mentioned it, uh, the causes like. We should not be afraid of water and, you know, like living this worldly life because it wasn't our choice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it like that. This is a face of our existence. We have no choice, but we, whoever was meant in Allah's book, yeah, the creed to be born and live and breathe on this earth, we are living. So there's nothing to fear about that. It's not like that, okay? What it means is, be alert, be wise. The moment you reach, we call it the age of discrimination, right? What it means, discrimination here, not discriminating against the, the opposite gender or anything like that. What it means is you can, you have such a powerful tool, furqan, compass, yeah, tool. You can ascertain, clearly distinguish between good and bad, useful and unuseful thing. And at all times you are alert, you are conscious, conscientious. You know what is good for you, beneficial, and what's not. Ah, if you are God conscious, you know what actions and sayings you would carry out, say or do, that will please your Lord. And on the other hand, what are the sayings and actions you need to stay away from because they will not cause the pleasure of Allah. It will be the other way around. So this is really what, what, what the meaning here is, really. Be aware of, you can say, amusements and uh, treacherous things that exist in this worldly life. Yeah? Deceitful things that you might not even figure out it's actually deceiting you, it's actually cheating on you. So you need to be careful and alert and intelligent enough to see what it is that you should take, be tempted by, and what you shouldn't. In the same way, nisa. No, there is no such a thing like, okay, be afraid of the opposite gender, therefore we'll never get married. The institution of marriage is dodgy, dangerous, because he says here something like, avoid females. And the females will also say, well, men will abuse us, they will do this and this to us, avoid it. No, it's not like that, actually. What this second, and this is the most the crux of this hadith, I might even have to end the session on this hadith and not go into the next one, which is a really beautiful one, but anyway, you all know it. So this notion, basically, what it means here is, do not indulge yourself to such a degree that you can't control your lower desire, 
when it comes to your own uh, wives, wife or wives, or when it comes to the opposite gender, especially if it's someone who is a stranger, you are not even tied in a, in a lawful, illicit relationship with that person, you can't basically be overtaken by that. Why I'm saying this? Because we all know that. It's in the Quran. Mawlana Rumi said it very beautifully. You can't deny this desire, the craving towards the opposite gender, it's basically within ourselves. Allah made it. It's part of our nature. So anyone who says looking at the opposite gender is not going to do anything to them biologically and in every other way is basically saying, I don't have this nature inside of me, which is against what the Quran says. It's against what the Hadith says. It's against this tradition as well. And against what we actually felt and what we experienced. At different phases of our lives, we feel this temptation and desire or craving at different levels, degrees, right? So when we are little children, we don't have this. Therefore, there are no boundaries, no particular rules for boys and girls because they don't have that feeling or sensation, sensation yet. But above certain age, it starts creeping in. And then a peak time, you can peak time comes in. When we have to be the most careful, the most cautious, the lucky ones, they get married nice and early, I say. And they are avoiding that still fulfilling their uh, kind of desires and whatever they have within themselves, but it is not prohibited. But even their moderation is asked, okay? So what this really uh, hadith means, in my opinion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows us better than we know ourselves. He's created us in a way that we have certain weaknesses within ourselves, okay? Inclinations towards good and bad, Okay, certain desires for things. Okay, two are very obvious. Wealth, hubbu dunya, hubbu mal, basically. You can't again deny The two readings of that ayah in Surah Al-Fajr, of course I prefer the other reading which is not common because I, you know, if Allah says all of us love it without exception, like, but hubban jamma is emphasized too much that is not really necessarily ideal, not good. I wouldn't like that interpretation. I would rather to say, oh, the people of Mecca, it meant them, and there are some other people who will live after them who are like them, crazy about wealth. And if there is a command, you have to pray to some uh, supreme divine being, but that will affect your businesses. You might lose some of your wealth. They're not going to listen because wealth is what they love. They don't love anything else or they're just crazy about it. So the, the love of wealth and also uh, the attraction towards the opposite gender are two desires which are very well known. And the other one is, of course, indulging yourself in tasty foods and drinks, like overeating, basically. There's a clear uh, uh, principle in the Quran, do not overeat. Eat and drink because you have to. That's how you live and survive but do not overeat. So to break down those two desires, okay, is a very important, uh, you can say, uh, school that each and every one of us has to graduate from. You know, this worldly life, we basically are trying to break those two desires, especially, let's say here, the Hadith talks about 
Kasser Shahwatain, but here is the desire towards the opposite gender. And everybody will have this desire, not just the males. You can actually switch this hadith in other direction. Some people use this hadith to criticize us, to say, uh, you are just trying to say uh, females, women are mischievous and cause of fitna. No, you can switch it around and say men are because they take advantage of the female. They are the, the weaker gender, the more vulnerable gender, and they look uh, more handsome or they are more beautiful in general sense. Therefore, they are targeted by men. So the Prophet ﷺ was telling the Sahaba off, don't do anything silly. Don't do anything which will endanger the opposite gender, your, your, you know, somebody's daughter or something like that. You can understand it like that. فَاتَّقُوا nisa. Like, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ فِي Like he said in the farewell sermon. But here, because of the ending of the hadith, we understand that the temptation was that certain people, rulers from the past nations, they actually manipulated the ladies. Yeah, they used the women to manipulate some man. And that was like the first, you can say, trial or test on which the children of Israel failed. They failed down. Therefore, we understand that it is basically both-way traffic directed to both of them. Uh, so he wasn't trying to say like, uh, you know, be conscious of Allah, have fear of Allah. Regard, with regards to women in general sense, especially with your spouses or children, daughters and things like that. He definitely meant here uh, the opposite gender before you enter into the institution of marriage. Okay, we understand that. Okay, uh, from the ending of this hadith. Having said that, it doesn't mean that men are not fit for women. Okay, we can't understand that oh, it's only the, the women who are uh, fit to men. The other way around is also true, okay? Each and both, it just depends on their age and the level of exposure. That's what it is, okay? But both have inclination towards the opposite gender, which is normal, biological, you can say, reaction of our bodies. Now, since we know that, we need to control our desires in proper way, in proper manner. So that is all uh, the language. There were two uh, benefits or lessons I wanted to uh, deduce from the hadith, and we'll finish the session here. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, this first one, I mean, just going uh, again. So the hadith, really, I'm trying to rephrase it in a way which is not going to offend anyone, inshallah. So the hadith, yeah, is the, the sometimes are their sensitivity because of the time and age we live in. But generally speaking, uh, this, the hadith really is a warning for all, I would say, uh, both males and females, to be aware of their sexual desires. You know, kasr shahwatain means control your sexual desires. You have them. Now, if you are exposed to so many uh, people of the opposite gender who are, and you are quite young, and who are around you, what this hadith, I would say, really is trying to say is, avoid putting yourself in that situation where you'll be tempted by the opposite gender. Whether you're talking about a boy who studies at the uni and he's living on a campus, and there's plenty of girls who don't really have so much modesty like a Muslim 
typical Muslim daughter will. And they actually think it's enjoyable and they even believe in promiscuity and all other kinds of things. You would say, you get to be careful. And the same is with the female. You simply will not send your daughter somewhere to live on her own. And you know, her next door neighbor is another boy of similar age and another boy of similar age and then another strange man and another strange man cooks for her and another strange man comes to clean her house and this and that. That doesn't make sense. So the hadith basically saying like cut the means as much as possible in terms of interaction which is unsupervised by a mahram. Yeah, or someone who is aware of this and they can protect the, especially the female. That's why there's this emphasis on, on females in this hadith. So this is what I understand from the first point. And then the second sub point of it is also true. So they are saying here, uh, you obviously uh, will do everything which the Sharia says so that you don't commit a sin when it comes to the opposite gender. So that also means lowering your gaze, right? And doing nothing else, you know, even above that. But they also say like not overindulging yourself even with the opposite gender that is your mahram, you know, that, that is lawful for you. Why? Because like eating, if you overindulge yourself, overeat, it creates an, it's an addiction, a problem. This other point as well, this other desire can be addictive too. And to be very frank with you, uh, you know, there are loads of people nowadays, we know that, uh, who have serious problems with that. And from this not being able to control this desire, all kinds of crimes unfold. Honestly, going all the way to, you know, taking the sanctity of life. Murder. Lots of crimes are actually of the heaviest, heaviest crimes that we know of. They begin with this, actually, not controlling this particular desire. People go after it. Yeah, we hardly hear of people like who didn't have enough food and they went on to take somebody's life. It was the other way around. You know, they got desperate, then they saw they did something wrong and they don't know how to hide the crime. Then they go all the way, na'uzubillah. And these uh, examples are mentioned elsewhere in, in the books. So that's the first benefit and this little sub-benefit. And the second one, uh, okay. So we learn from this hadith that uh, there is nothing wrong in, in, in taking admonition lessons uh, by what happened to the previous nations, the nations that lived before us. If they uh, fell on particular test and trial, or let's say if they made certain mistakes, committed certain sins, like cheating on, on the balance, yeah, for example, in business, in trade, mistreating the opposite gender, like the very common example also is of mistreating the females. So if we know of previous nations, people who lived in the previous times before us, doing something wrongful, then we should basically learn by that example so we don't repeat the same mistake. And this is in a way what you can say the Prophet was trying to say to his Sahaba at the bottom line is, never allow your communities, your societies to become something like what happened to the children of Israel so that they fell, un they fell on this test, okay? The first temptation was through that deceitful, treacherous, basically, uh, means, which is so attractive to us, don't let your souls be corrupted in that way. And I have to say, 
Today, you know, the internet doesn't help in this regard. You know, there's plenty of nonsense, you can say, going on around us, and almost some of it even free of charge, uh, but it's not actually free of charge. It's a very heavy price that you are paying for it because it's, it's making you becoming addicted, addictive to it, and then it can cause all kinds of destructions and problems for you and your family, and then it will also, you know, bounce back, reflect on your community as a whole. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us realize that this worldly life of ours is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there's lots of beauty in it. Greenery, like we said, na nature is there. We love to connect to nature. We are part of the nature. And we want to seek out and discover what are the truly, truly sweet things in this worldly life. And once we experience that, we want to keep experiencing the same things. And they are clearly spiritual things. And the second point is, let us not fool ourselves and not acknowledge and recognize that within our bodies, because we are a body and a soul, we have this particular desire towards the opposite gender. It is the craving which Allah instilled in us in order to, to preserve the human race. That is the main objective of it. And it is done through the beautiful institution of marriage. So when we go out of those bounds, okay, uh, and disregard what is uh, licit or lawful, and go on to indulge ourselves, that will lead to nothing but destruction for us as individuals, our families, and our communities as a whole. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we become truly pious in this regard and we lower our gazes and, and control our emotions and our desires, whether they are sexual or food-related, uh, wealth-related, whatever it is, we want to take from this dunya uh, the bare minimum, what is necessary for us really, the simpler the better, and we certainly don't want to overindulge ourselves uh, because uh, it is so deceitful uh, if you are not careful and you can be caught up in, in, in something without even noticing, realizing it. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us our mistakes and shortcomings in any of those that I just mentioned that we have done on our own part. And we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the wiqaya. It's called hisan. Yeah? Uh, such a strong feeling, protection, so that we can control our eyes, our ears, okay, and uh, our private parts as well, so that we can in that way, inshallah, secure entry to the beautiful gardens of paradise uh, in, in the presence of uh, the, the chosen ones and, of course, uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا 